Have you ever had a Christmas day where you got what you wanted? The present that you really, really wanted. I know that you have like all Christmas day traditions. And for some of you that may be having family over or certain family over, or maybe you open your presents on Christmas Eve, which is a really, really bad thing to do. Uh, but uh, we o- always opened our presents on Christmas morning. We'd go knock on our parents' door at about 6 a.m. On the way out, there would be a big sock full of all like like Christmas, like little goodies. And we would open those first. And then we had to wait until mom and dad got up. And it always took like probably like five minutes, but it felt like like a lifetime for us as we waited for mom and dad to finally get up and we had to put our clothes on and brush our teeth and make sure our hair was just right. And then we'd all go out into the living room, turn on the Christmas tree lights and stare underneath the tree at all of these presents while dad opened the Bible to Luke chapter number two. And we had to go through the Christmas story. And worst of all was we had to all alternate verses. So we do, I'd read a verse and then my sister would read a verse. And then our younger sister who could barely read had to read a verse. And it was like, come on, get through the verse. We can't wait to open the presents. And once we did, man, it was time, right? We would all go through and they, we didn't always, we never had them sorted out. So we had to like sort them and go, oh, this one belongs to this. This one belongs to mom. This one belongs to dad. And I would try to strategically open each present so that I waited for the best present to always be last. I didn't want to open that one first and then be disappointed the rest of the way through, but it never failed. Every year, dad would wait and find some way to convince us that there wasn't a big present this year. But at the end of when all the presents were opened, he would go into the bedroom or sometimes into the basement or sometimes it was hid behind the couch, depending upon which Christmas day, because he'd try to switch it up and we would, he would bring out the big Christmas present for all of us. I remember one year in true, like if you've ever watched the Christmas story, in true Christmas story fashion, I got the, what is it? The Red Rider BB gun. And I still to this day have never told my parents, but I think I actually on that day almost shot my eye out just <laughs> like the Christmas story reads. Oh man, I remember gifts. And, and, and although gifts were a part of the tradition, it was really more the tradition of waiting and the excitement of getting the gift. Uh, I can't tell you where that Red Rider BB gun is or the bicycle that I got or any of the other large presents but I can remember the memories of those presents. You think about where that tradition started, and of course, theologians or historians can all try to come up with a reason of why we open gifts on that day. And some of them would say, you know, like the three wise men, right? Because there was gold, and then there was frankincense, but wait, there was myrrh. (laughs) Little dad joke, little dad humor for you this morning. (laughs) But without maybe trying to sound too cliche, the greatest gift ever given, ever, and the one that was waited for the longest, we're talking thousands and thousands of years. We, we know the gift already happened, but there was people for 4,000 plus years that were waiting for the gift of the Messiah. And finally, one morning, according to the good news that Matthew wrote and the good news that Luke wrote, the good news was Jesus Christ, the Messiah, had come. But you know, I think oftentimes we make the mistake of thinking that morning the gift was a baby Jesus. When it really was just part of the gift. The gift wasn't just that there was the Messiah lying in a manger. The, the gift was what that Messiah was going to do. 
and who he was going to be, not just represent, but he was going to change the world for all people. Paul wrote about this in Romans chapter three and verse 25. And he said this, for God presented as a present, Jesus, as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Here's three things that I think we need to understand this morning as you sit there, maybe on your couch or wherever you are the day after Christmas listening to this message, is that this gift was no ordinary gift. It wasn't even in any comparison as special as the biggest Christmas gift that you've ever gotten. This was not just, number one, a loving gift. It was the ultimate love. A gift of ultimate, ultimate love. Unconditional love. In other words, he gave the gift expecting nothing back. On Christmas Day, do you remember when you were a kid and maybe you gave your parents gifts, but really the gifts that you gave them came from money that they gave you, (laughs) right? And so they were really the gifts they gave you were unconditional. They weren't giving you gifts because they expected gifts back. They gave you a gift because they loved you. And as great as that was, and as probably as loved as you felt by getting that gift as a child, this gift came unconditionally whether we were going to receive it or not. The gift costs a lot. The gift was also a holy gift. I don't think that's sometimes not talked about a whole lot, but this was someone that was Jesus. And although he was 100% man, he was 100% God and he did nothing wrong. This was a gift of God, not giving up his holiness, but giving holiness away. He had to have his son take on sin itself. What an incredible gift. And then lastly, and this is the one that I want you to really, really think about. It was a sacrificial gift. I have given other people gifts before. And sometimes I think I've felt that they were, you know, it cost me a little bit. And I think sometimes the danger of even as we give to others, we give, but it's not really a sacrificial gift. It didn't cost us everything. When you think of God as the father, he had one son. That's the only son he had. And when he gave us his son who did nothing wrong, he himself had no sin, knew no sin. He gave us the only son he had. I love everybody here and I love everybody that's watching this morning. And I would think that I'd love to give you a great gift. But the way that I'd go about giving you a gift this morning is I would go, okay, I'm gonna take care of my family first. I'm gonna make sure I can make my mortgage. I'm gonna make sure that I can make all of my payments. And then I'm going to buy myself something nice. And then whatever is left over after all those things, I'll take maybe 10% of that and give it to one of you. (laughs) This was a gift that cost Jesus everything. He had only one son. And he said, I'm going to give that son to you. It was sacrificial. Paul later writes in a letter to a church in a city called Ephesus. 
something beautiful in Ephesians 5.2. He says this, he says, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. What do you get, God? If we were today say, hey, it's the day after Christmas, we've got our gifts, how do we give back? Have you ever gotten something, by the way, from someone that you didn't expect to get a gift from, right? Or maybe they sent you a card and you were like, oh man, now I gotta get them something. And you felt like you were in their debt, right? And I remember getting something, honestly, sometimes for my wife and I go, how do I get something for somebody that I feel like has everything that they already want, like me? I've tried to get things for people before that I feel like they already have everything. And if we're talking about the person or the one who has everything, that would be God. God already has everything. So what do we give back to God after he's given us so much? What could we give God that has anything of value? And Paul writes this, and I want you to look at the word love here. He says, live a life filled with love. The first part of that verse talks about living a life filled with love. It's not a punctual statement, as we would say in the Greek. It's linear, meaning not one act of love, but live a life that's linear, not a snapshot, but literally a video, your entire life filled with giving back of love. Look at the second word I want you to circle or highlight if you're home and you have a pen and paper with you. Following the example of Christ. In other words, don't just live a life filled with love, but live a life filled with love the way that Christ loved you. What kind of love is that? Well, he says it later in the verse. He says he loved us and offered himself as a, look at that next word, sacrifice for us a pleasing aroma to God. You don't want to know what pleases God. There's no amount of things or money that you can give God that's going to please him. He already owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He already owns everything on this earth. Whatever's here already belongs to him. That's not what's pleasing. Raising your giving from 5% to 10% or 15% or 20%, that's not, doesn't please God more. What pleases him is when we sacrifice of ourself and we love others through a sacrificial living that isn't just I will love others out of the overflow of the love I have left, but instead love that's actually going to cost me something. Love like Christ. And then finally, in Romans Chapter 12 and verse number one, Paul writes this again. Man, we're reading a lot of Paul here. He says, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. Why was Paul saying I plead with you? He was saying it because it was really, really important. In other words, you ever heard someone tell an entire story or give a message and they said, if you get one thing, get this. So he says, after writing all of this, 
If there's nothing else you get out of what I'm writing, please, I plead with you, get this. And wouldn't you say if Paul is saying, please listen to this, I wrote a lot of important things over 13 books, but this is one thing that I'm just pleading with you to get. Give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. There's that linear verb, not punctual verb of, it's not just a one-time gift. We don't just go to God and say, well, I'll give you this transaction, are we good now? But yet a living, continual sacrifice of ourselves saying our whole body, our whole being, our soul, our heart, everything we are belongs to you in a sacrificial way. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. And then how does Paul end it? He says, this is truly the way to worship him. You know, a little parallel can even be made here to when we worship in song, when we don't care about what else is going around us or who's thinking of us raising our hands or singing out loud or in my case, being off tune. When we don't care, we can be completely sacrificial of ourselves and not care of ourselves and be in true worship. That's not what Paul is talking about here, worship music. But what he's talking about is worshiping God. In other words, I don't care who knows or who finds out. This is the person I love. I'm literally willing to give my entire body and being to whatever he needs. So here are some questions in closing that we can ask ourselves going into this next year. Anyone online, raise your hand if you are going into January 1st or you're waiting, right? Right now, December 26th, we still got a couple days. You can still add a couple pounds before you have to go on that diet, right? But January 1st is goal setting time. My wife and I's anniversary is on December 29th and we get together on our December 29th anniversary and we write out goals that we're gonna have for the year, spiritual goals, physical goals. I love that time. But a goal is not something really, honestly, until you write it down. Otherwise, it's just a dream. Right? How many times have we said, I'm going to, and we never hold ourselves accountable to it. We just said, that would be a really great idea. I know I'm even guilty of that in church. I, I leave and I go, man, that was convicting. I should probably do something about that. And then I walk out and what I do is I go eat lunch. <laughs> so as I say these three things, I want you in your home today or wherever you're watching to take out a pen and paper. Take advantage of the fact that you're sitting there with maybe your children or your spouse. Maybe you're with some other family with you and take this time to hold each other accountable and say, you know what, this year, we're gonna change the way that we give back to Jesus. It's not just gonna be like, what's ever left over, but we're gonna choose something that's sacrificial, that actually costs us something because the Bible says that's true worship and that's what's pleasing to God. Number one, I want you to ask yourself this question, am I loving? Am I loving? Am I loving others? This year we started a new mission and vision of 
oikos and reaching our front row. I want you to think about that prodigal or potential pre-Christian or purposeful in your oikos. How are you going to love them specifically this year? Write their name down. Hopefully you still have the oikos card. Write their name down. Write how am I going to love them this year? Ask yourself this question. This may be a more internal or personal question, but how can I be more holy? I think we have another, am I holy? And really the only holiness that we have in us is of Jesus, but the more that we become like him, the more that really as we look at our messiness and sin and we say, I, I don't want that, not because it messes with my life, but because I love my Savior so much and I know he already paid that debt. How am I changing my life to be more like him? And then lastly, that word that I hope you've underlined or highlighted or circled in your Bible, sacrificial. Am I being sacrificial? Am I being sacrificial? Not am I giving out of the overflow, but am I taking something out of my life that is dear to me and replacing it with something that honestly may not even feel good, but I know it's what God wants me to do. What is that? Could it be being more generous with your finances? Could that be being more generous with your time? Could it be making time to spend with your family when you've been spending more time at work? And saying, man, financially, I don't know how I'm going to get this work, but I want to be sacrificial for them. Is it looking across the street to your neighbor or someone in that oikos that the spirit of God has put on your heart that you've written down that you go, I'm going to do something special for them that will cost me where they will know that I'm loving them in a sacrificial way. You know, oftentimes we start our goals with what is good for me. And we start writing down, I want to be better at this and I want to do better at this and I want to lose this amount of weight. I want to feel this certain way. But could we just flip that on its head today and say, I want my life this year to be a linear version, not a punctual version of every once in a while I'll love God and give back to him. But no, I want to be sacrificial with my love and my holiness and my time and my generosity. What is it that the spirit of God right now is telling you, I'm going to do different this year because I want to please him. Remember, it's not a goal until you write it down. Take advantage of that right now. And thank you for joining us on the day after Christmas we love you, and I cannot wait to see you back here. I love saying this every year. Next year, we'll see you back.